Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damien Pizzanti. So um, this week we're going to talk with you guys about legalized recreational marijuana in Washington State and medical too. Yeah, we sit down with uh, Jim Mullen, who is a co-owner of the Herbery, which is a local chain of uh, three recreational marijuana shops. Um, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the state of the industry, how mm-hmm. it's doing in Washington, how it's doing in Vancouver. How um, we're feeling about the federal regulations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, that industry is so rapidly evolving, but there's a lot going on right now. And uh, this guy pretty much a wealth of knowledge so yeah if you haven't seen the john oliver episode where he talked about um marijuana it was just a couple of weeks ago it was actually really it it was really um a good explanation of some of the uh you know the conflicting federal state you know local challenges that exist so um Mm -hmm. from a variety of perspectives so um good to know yeah yeah, it's seemed, it is 420 this week. Yeah, that's it's why we fitting. brought him in. So. I mean, technically, this is coming out on 419, the night before 420, but we we tout it and shout it out on 420. So, yeah. damn it, account. Um, and then we're going to follow up that conversation with uh, also some state level news, but we're going to be talking with Lauren Day to get an Olympia update from her. Things are a little bit too busy up there right now for her to bring in like a local representative or a senator for us to talk, for her to talk with. But few people know Olympia as well as Lauren. Lauren does so right so she's going to talk to us a little bit as the um as the regular session is winding down here and they uh the legislators you know are looking like they're going to go into overtime yep. um, again yep. special session right i wonder oh. how long this one's going to last i almost feel like we should take bets to see how long this special session is going to go because now they have to get mccleary done right, right? so you know they have to get mccleary done this year have um, so to that's, yeah. lauren's going to talk to us a little bit about that and some of the challenges in olympia um, and then sure we'll talk some other things too um and then we're going to bring in Ashley Swanson uh, to talk to us a little bit about the weekend ahead and what to expect for your for your weekend. Yeah. I hope you guys are taking our advice. She's got so many good ideas that I feel like a total idiot when I think to myself, there's nothing to do in Vancouver on the weekends. Well, I never think that. Um, I do sometimes. And then I quickly remember like, oh, yeah, I just had a huge conversation about all the great things to do in Vancouver on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just you, Damien. Anyway. Yeah. It's just I'm a loser. It's (laughs) terrible. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, we're going to turn to our conversation with Jim. All right. So we are sitting down with uh, Jim Mullen, who is a uh, co-owner of the Herbery, which is a local chain of three marijuana shops, retail marijuana shops here in Clark County. So thanks for coming in, Jim. Hi, thank you for inviting me. So um, we're going to start with just some real um, fast facts from the Liquor and Cannabis Board about how marijuana sales are going in Clark County. So last year, uh, marijuana sales brought in $168 million in cannabis excise tax, according to the Liquor and Cannabis Board. Um, This year, the state is expected to receive more than $300 million. Um, and Clark County sales in fiscal year 2016 uh, made up a pretty pretty decent chunk of that. Um, uh, the county sold 52.5 million dollars worth of we- worth of weed with excise taxes of 17 million dollars. So, pretty significant um, sales we're seeing here those, locally. 
Those are big numbers. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, one of the first things I was thinking about when we were considering doing this show was uh, we had Oregon, as I'm sure you well know, legalize marijuana. And Vancouver was one of the busiest markets for recreational marijuana, you know, because of so many people coming across the border to be able to buy it here. Absolutely. Well, since Oregon has come online and, you know, they don't have to come to Vancouver anymore if they don't want to, from your perspective, have things slowed down very much uh, within the last, what, year? at this point well yeah the month that Oregon started selling recreational marijuana um, you know we we checked the numbers from the state and uh, geographically not just our company and look at what the impacts are and Southwest Washington took I think it was a 47% drop in sales uh, the first month after Oregon opened um, you know, and that's an average across the board. Some stores. 47%? Yeah, I believe Man, so. that is huge. You can check that uh, public records, but we um, we saw it definitely a hit. And, you know, some got a little worse than others. Um, but it was, ser- you know, a serious impact. Was the market, from your perspective, able to absorb that impact pretty well? Or, I mean, you guys are opening stores, so. Yes. Um, we got a large market here and we still benefit from um, Oregon residents, whether they're working here or for whatever reason, they're coming over and shopping with us still. Uh, I think there are a lot of good reasons that they come over, but we, we don't encourage interstate trafficking. So Yeah, yeah, because we should mention it's still, and this is something that we're going to talk about today because of this um, this conflict of state and federal laws, even though it, even though recreational marijuana is legal in both Oregon and Washington, it's still a, a federal crime to take it, well, to consume it, first of all, but to take, especially to take it over state borders. So Yeah, I, I feel like you can even see some of the fluctuations that have happened um, since Oregon since recreational sales became legal in Oregon because uh, fiscal year 2016 Vancouver got uh, 790,000 in uh, revenue but then this year so granted fiscal year 2017 isn't over yet but the city's gotten uh, just under 525,000 you know that's that's a $200,000 give or take that's a pretty significant drop it is, and I mm-hmm. contribute that to Oregon opening up its markets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely, because I think the the marketplace in Southwest Washington is um, is a fairly good uh, sized market overall. Mm. Um, certainly not as big as Seattle, etc. Right. So, uh, from your perspective, wait, when did, did you guys open your guys' first store right when uh, legalization happened, or was there a, a gap there? <clears throat> we were um, about seven months after legalization. Mm. No, so. Uh, my my partner and I were actually in the process of uh, putting our business plans together uh, at that time, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, nailing down our first location and then doing some of the uh, build out that we mm-hmm. needed to do. I mean, that still puts you pretty well in the forefront. I think we were number four opening, wow. three, four. Yeah. So, how do you feel like? How have things evolved? Oh, it's an ever-evolving market. There's no doubt. Um, you know, a number of producer processors. There, it's, what aspect of it do you want me to select? Because um, you know, it's a huge, uh, quickly evolving industry that is. It's just dynamic, and so you really have to take it like a pie and slice it. So, and you know, in the product quality and selection, definitely, there's been a great increase. Um, you know, many more producer processors have come on. Uh, the state still has open licenses for others to join in. You've got uh, new types of edibles and products. Um, you know, some are very high end and, and 
Um, you know, maybe even niche a little bit. You've got the medical market uh, that's still, you know, getting, I think, its legs as far as being an I-502 regulated market. Um, but, you know, that's just one aspect of it. Um, I think a lot of people are coming out. They're becoming comfortable with it again. They're starting to use it, you know, as an alternative to, uh, you know, whatever else they might have been using. Uh, or just uh, maybe they're getting back into it again. The demographics are, are it's fun to watch who walks in and out of the stores. You, you just everybody, you know, over 21. <laughs> um, but uh, everybody and anybody, you just, you see people and you go, no, they'd never. And there they are coming in. You know, it's interesting to me that despite, um, you know, that chunk of the market that fell out once Oregon legalized, you guys still thought it was a good idea to open up a third store. Well, um, that's because the way the state uh, program runs, uh, we each business entity is allowed a maximum of three retail stores, and oh. so. And is that three per county, or is that three total? Three for the state. Gotcha. Okay. So I mean, my partner and I could separate, and then we could each have three. But you know, it's a maximum of three. The state's talking about increasing that to five. I'm not sure that's going to happen or not, but we. But we're not going to see. I mean, we're not going to see the Starbucks of weed anytime soon. Where? Oh <laughs> uh, no, 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 I don't think so. Because okay. at the state, uh, they talk about keeping a lot of small businesses alive. You know, this is generating a lot of great jobs um, and a lot of small business opportunities are, have been created because of this. In the years that I've been covering legalized marijuana here in the state, um, a big fear that I've heard from a lot of producers is that if this became legal on the federal level, that these huge businesses and these pharmaceutical companies would come in and just decimate the local markets. Yeah, that's that's a common thought. Um, we share that. You know, it might not be, and I don't think it is a matter of if, it's when. Um, just like alcohol, you know, it, it took several years, decades, um, you know, and there's still a stigma attached to that in some communities. But with us, um, yes, I think Big Pharma is going to come in. I think that if it gets descheduled, uh, why wouldn't they step in? And, you know, I have heard of some of the bigger companies already having investments in other countries in land and, you know, production facilities. So they're ready to go. Uh, you know, this is something big pharma is going to fight for a while until they can get the government to turn certain things their way so it's favorable um, i think that's one of the reasons that you know we haven't had legalization for a long time mm -hmm. it's it's at a very high level politically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are you do you guys also dispense medical are you a medical shop uh, we're medically endorsed. We haven't joined the program as far as we don't have a database. We can't create the medical cards, but we certainly have a number of people that come in looking for products that will help, you know, various conditions. So technically, no, we don't offer the medical services yet. Uh, we got the endorsement. We want to do it. It's something we've been waiting because really there haven't been a lot of true medical products that you know, fall under the criteria that the Department of Health have. Uh, we know of a few that have come out, um, but uh, we've kind of been waiting for that actually to happen. So, so just for people who may not be aware, medically endorsed, what does that what does that mean? What does that mean for a customer or a patient that comes to you? We um, well, we would enroll somebody. Somebody would have to um, get a form, go to their um, medical provider, get an authorization come into our store and then we would register them in a state database. 
then we would also produce them an identification card uh, that could be used at any um, retail facility in the state. Mm -hmm. Then they'd be in the system, and every time they came in, they'd check in. We'd enter them into the system. Uh, it qualifies them for buying high THC products uh, above the 100 milligram level, like for example, for edibles. Uh, and, and more quantities. A, a person can have one ounce of flour if they're recreational, but three if it's medical. Mm -hmm. So, and, and they don't pay um, the sales tax. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, there is a savings mm -hmm. um, and then they can buy a larger quantity and possess a larger quantity. So we should, just in case you guys weren't around or haven't been paying attention, a quick, re super quick recap of what happened is you used to get your medical from a dispensary, right? And for a little while, these, the medical, or I mean, the recreational stores and dispensaries sort of coexisted. And then um, due to the legislation that was introduced in the last session by uh, Senator Ann Rivers, um, medical was folded into the recreational facilities and that changed the tax structure and it was kind of a it was a pretty contentious point for the medical community because in order to qualify for that tax exemption you have to get your name on a state list right right and you know naturally part of the fear i think that these people had was that you know who who that is a regular marijuana user wants to have their name on some government list but right well and that's one reason we still benefit from Oregon residents to be honest with you because and we have a number of customers that come in and tell us you know, if I walk into a dispensary down there, even though it's it's retail now, um, they have to show their ID and they get logged in and they do not like that. Mm -hmm. And they don't want it. You're right. They don't want to be on a list. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, the medical database that the state set up, uh, you know, there are, I think, over 12,000 people who have registered now. So mm -hmm. it's not like everybody has said, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, 12,000 people and, and it's growing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not a huge number relatively to the mm -hmm. market, but it's a growing number and, and people are, you know, they're, I don't know, I hope the state relaxes their mm -hmm. laws. Um, should somebody have to sign up? I mean, that's a debatable question. Personally, I don't think so, mm -hmm. but that's just my opinion. I mean, speak to this as much or as little as you can, but, um, you know, when that when this new medical system was rolling out, I heard that there was a lot of hiccups in the system and a lot of frustration on both on behalf of store owners and patients that were trying to figure out how this new system was going to work. Have, have those issues gone away yet, or are there still problems that everybody's trying to deal with? You know, I really haven't heard of any problems in the last few months. Um, it was uh, clunky you know, uh, to an extent. And I think a lot of it was, um, a part of it was that, uh, you know, many people in the medical community felt that they got the shaft um, with what happened. Uh, Senate Bill 5052, uh, the state wanted to regulate it. And, you know, for fear that the feds might come in and shut down the whole thing, if they don't, I, I believe is one reason. Um, and a lot of people who've been in medical for a long time did not get the opportunity uh, for a number of reasons to continue on with their businesses. And, you know, I, I feel for them. I, some people got left on the sidelines. Um, you know, I don't, I, I can't sit here and say I could have done it better. Uh, but, mm. you know, certainly there are some people who are, I think, left out. Um, and it, it's unfortunate, but I believe the state wanted to make sure that they could continue, you know, providing marijuana to the citizens. And that was just how that happened. 
We also wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, this new administration, the Trump administration, um, and, and, you know, the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, Attorney, Attorney General, right? Yes. Who is, <laughs> you know, who is very, very vocally opposed to marijuana, has made some very, very damning statements over the years about, about this drug. And, um, and what, as a, as a, a marijuana shop owner, what are your concerns right now? And, and where do you think the future of this industry is, given the current political climate? Well, I'll start by saying uh, I think there's a building conflict between the states and the federal uh, government. And when you look at there are now 29 uh, states that have legalized medical, um, and that does not include Guam, District of Columbia, Puerto Rico. Then you've got seven or eight that are now recreationally legal. Mm-hmm. Um, Including, I mean, now the entire West Coast. Right. So, yeah, I mean. absolutely. So, which is three states? Well, I yeah, guess four if you want to include Alaska. Well, but yeah. still, it's nothing to sneeze at. Right? No, not at anyway. all. Um, you know, there's a level of concern. It's not high for us. We, you know, watch it, and I stay current with what's happening. And my partner and I believe that at this point, there there are too many states that have moved forward with this. It's evolved. Uh, to the point where now it's going to be a matter of managing it at a federal mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to look at the Cole Memorandum and they're going to go to the states and they're going to sit down and say, you know, this is what you're expected to follow. They might tweak it some. That mm-hmm. that could be a concern because I've heard things like, okay, they're going to, you know, allow it, but they're going to add a 25% federal tax on it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, well, even if they do that, that's like the first road to legalization. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Any steps the federal government takes to allow this to continue mm-hmm. is a step forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it could make make it more challenging in some some ways. But I think they're acknowledging this, and mm-hmm. you know, they're offering to regulate it. Is going to open it up eventually. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll go the right route of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like well. I can just think of off the top of my head a couple of polls that I have seen that shown that like you know the majority of Americans uh, it's like fifty six percent yeah I saw one that 57%. said fifty seven yeah that many people uh, think it should be legalized federally you know it's what's happening behind the scenes that we don't know and and who knows if we'll ever find out I mean I you know I got to believe the government Trump uh, recognizes the revenues that are going to be generated from this the numbers they're forecasting in California five six billion mm-hmm. you know it's just astronomical mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a hell of a lot of jobs it's a hell of a lot of good business opportunity and it's already here it's already you know on the street in people's pockets and purses and mm-hmm. at home so um, you know, let's legalize it. Let's regulate it to whatever extent, like we do with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know good for adult consumption, mm-hmm. uh, and let's put people to work and make some money on it. Do you think we're at that point? Are we anywhere near the point where we're going to see a pruning back of it? Are we in a are we at a bubble with recreational marijuana businesses, or are we going to see a plateau at any point? Because when I look at these numbers, I see still just continuous growth. You're going to continue to see growth. And when California gets online, the amount of money that's going to generate is going to put, I believe, a lot of political pressure. They have 52 delegates in their state. So Mm -hmm. when they go to Congress, you know, they're going to have some sway. They're going to want to take their businesses and go to other states and Mm -hmm. look to build, you know, national companies. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is just the way capitalism works, you know, entrepreneurship works. So Mm -hmm. I... I think it's just going to continue to grow. Like I said, the federal government could put some strange regulations or taxes on it, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to put a dam up or tell us to stop. 
I think one other thing that might be interesting to talk about is forever when, um, you know, this was illegal. People thought of pot in terms of like a joint or like uh, just like the loose the loose flower that you could you could get. And um, the mark like the offerings have really evolved, right? Like this is not what is available in stores now is not the pot of what it was in the 70s or even like the 1990s. So can you talk about a little bit about what kind of products you guys are seeing on the market and the different ways to consume it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, well, I was, a, I was a pretty big stoner in the seventies. Um, so as a lot of people were, know, yeah, this is uh, quite true. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got out of it for several years, but, uh, uh-huh. find myself back the, you know, the flower, the quality of the bud, uh, mm-hmm. has significantly improved. Uh, you know, I remember, you know, obviously the price has gone up, but I think the science behind, uh, producing the products has gone, you know, a thousand fold from where it was, uh, now, you know, they've got the lights dialed in, they've got humidity dialed in, they've got the grow rooms that, you know, are producing these high THC, you know, high yielding plants. They Yeah, I mean, these are some pretty like scientific operations that you yeah. go into a lot of these places, a lot of these growers. So it's a lot of work that goes into the Absolutely. Process. There's a lot of state of the art, um, you know, electronics and technology that people are putting into these grow rooms now. Well, I'm curious about some of these things like, uh, so for people that don't know, like flour is like, that's like the basics, right? I mean, you can, there's tons of edibles out there. Sure. And then I'm thinking like shards and resins, and I'm sure there's things like, I don't even know about. You know, your your basic thing is your pre-roll and, you know, that's just a rolled shake or rolled bud. Um, and now they've got it infused with keef, which, um, you know, is, is one way to enhance it, enhance the THC or oil, some kind of concentrate oil. They'll mix that up and roll those joints up. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, yeah, you've got your flower, you've got your outdoor, your greenhouse, your indoor that, you know, most people just, you know, smoke through a bong or a pipe. Your edibles, we've got cookies, brownies, um, all kinds of hard candies now. We've got, you know, uh, chocolate caramel turtles mm. you know, you've got a great selection of chocolates you've got drinks mm-hmm. now you've got you know strawberry lemonade orange drinks root beer mm-hmm. um, from you know a number of different providers so that's that's a totally new way uh, mm-hmm. you know these are carbonated beverages they taste great um, you've got your concentrates there's a big market for that um, and a lot of the medical patients actually come in looking for concentrates. But uh, and so when you say a concentrate, like how what what is that exactly? Well, there's an extraction process. They'll take a plant and they will extract the THC out of the plant. Um, then they, you know, in a couple different ways of doing that, it, the end result is uh, just a highly concentrated. Um, it, it's a kind of a waxy or maybe uh, crumbly. Uh, like a sugar cube sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, or just oil, dark, thick oil that mm-hmm. uh, people can consume in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's a high potency. I'm glad you went back to the medical side of things because uh, what I forgot to ask you earlier when we were talking about that was uh, CBD. I heard a, a, like that a lot of people have heard like that because you know it's non psychoactive and supposedly has a lot of medical benefits. Yes. Um, with the shift in the medical market. Are you guys still seeing, uh, are producers still producing a lot of just like CBD focused materials or is it, is has that kind of gone by the wayside? 
Um, actually, we've seen it um, do a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, the, at right at first when we opened, everybody wanted CBDs. Everybody wanted CBDs, and then that request kind of died off a little bit. But we've definitely seen it come back in the last few months. Uh, we're carrying more CBDs, and some of our vendors are uh, now packaging high, like 200 milligrams of CBDs, because you can do that. It, since it's not the psychoactive part, the state allows you'd go beyond the 100 milligram threshold. So uh, we've got some high CBD products and CBD THC mixed products. Um, I, I think it's making a comeback, I definitely do. Well, and I'm even seeing like CBD products elsewhere. I mean, like Lobar had a beer on tap one day that was CBD infused. I did, which I didn't even know that was legal, but, or maybe it, maybe it isn't. But. No, there's, uh, there are companies that, um, you know, will import CBD, um, and then you know turn them into whatever products but yeah you've they're in safeway i mean you've got yeah cbd stuff out there on the market in the open and then market. like some lotion at the farmer's market in safeway yeah. are you serious yeah i had no idea yeah but yeah so i mean it's definitely you know i wonder do you think that 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 is maybe because of sort of the normalization that exists be, uh, due to the the due to recreational pot shops or medical has... i contributed to the medical that goes back i mean what uh 1996 california is the first state to legalize medical mm -hmm. and so you know you've got a number of years and i think that it actually has grown out of that uh, and that's the beginning you know and I hear about athletes talking about it all the time, uh, specifically like mixed martial arts fighters swear by CBDs. I listen to podcasts where they're on a few different ones of those, and uh, God, they keep they talk about it like it's a wonder solution to all their aches and pains. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. Now you've got the National Football League talking about it too, and you know, really, absolutely, players wanting to you know get off the painkillers and the opiates that their doctors are giving them, you know, after they get thrashed every Sunday, mm -hmm. um, they they want to turn to marijuana or cannabis products to help them with their pain for, for one reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I know you're you're one guy who owns three, co-owns three stores, but uh, what does the future look like in, in Vancouver, in Clark County, in Washington State for the industry? Where are things going? Uh, I think it's going to continue to expand. Uh, one of the reasons you touched on uh, the, the revenues that we've seen and the growth is that the state has licensed a number of more stores, and there are more stores that are going to be licensed. They still have stores in, in counties and cities that have the bans and moratoriums. Uh, when they lift them, and you know they are doing that slowly, incrementally throughout the state, more stores will open, more revenue will come in. So I think you know that's going to help the producer processors out there. Um, uh, you know, just having more stores and, and a bigger market share mm -hmm. uh, overall. And, you know, as more research is done and more information is put out, you know, we're slowly starting to see the stigma go away very slowly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's going to help the market grow. What about on the banking front? Well, that's all on to get, you know, at the Fed level. But mm -hmm. there, are, I know that uh, we have some local bank or there are like there are small banks and credit unions that will mm -hmm. open up store or open up accounts for. Well, banking is huge, right? huge. I mean, we've got a couple of things working against us and banking is one of them uh, for sure. But, you know, there are now bills in Congress to allow banking for our industry, um, you know, and that they were authored by uh Oregon and Colorado senators. Hmm. So we so people uh, who are very well aware of the challenges of yeah. sending home your employees with with a cash paycheck. So yeah. I mean that's kind of that's kind of scary. So I mean we're we're 
a you know state licensed business and right. and we're being held back in a lot of different ways because of the federal restrictions. I think my credit union based out of Spokane was the first one in Washington that started offering mm. offering accounts to pot shops. Mm. So that was in Spokane. So mm-hmm. um, our our bank is in Seattle actually. Oh wow. Uh, so I mean we were lucky we got into a bank. Um, uh, and I don't see how people who aren't with banks can operate. Mm-hmm. It's just wow, amazingly difficult. I was talking with a consultant based in California um, about a year ago when I was doing another story about marijuana banking. And um, he just said, like, first off, how fortunate anybody is in the industry to even get to have a bank account, regardless of what the fees are. Because, you know, if you have to store that cash on site, it's a lot more than just like finding a good secure vault or safe or whatever. But it's about like keeping your cash free of humidity and free of bugs and free of mold, like storing it is a whole different animal. So. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we don't have those problems. I can't even imagine. That's crazy. Man, I think we exhausted all of our questions. Is there anything we weren't clever enough to ask you about that you want to talk about? This no, is your I'm, chance to spout off. Oh, no. Um, thank you. But um, I'd just say if you ever want to have another conversation, I'm uh, happy to come down and join you. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. You bet. Okay, so we are sitting down with uh, Colombian politics reporter Lauren Dake, and she's going to bring us sort of a sort of a semi version of the Olympia update. So thanks for coming on, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So yeah, typically uh, when we have these Olympia updates, it's you sitting down with uh, somebody from our local delegation. But those guys are really busy right now because the session is about to wrap up, right? Well, air quotes wrap up before <laughs> launching into a new set, another session. Exactly. Yes. Um, the end of the 103-day regular legislative session should be technically on Friday. Um, but in what's probably a surprise to not very many people. Lawmakers have not, they have actually not really even started negotiating their budget in earnest yet. Um, so I see a lot of great passive aggressive Twitter comments <laughs> from the two parties, though. Yeah, that always like really Good Lord. Take, takes, you know, increases near the end of session, it seems like. Uh huh. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but before we dive into what is going to be happening, um, I guess, from Friday onward, let's talk about maybe some of the highs and lows of this session so far and uh, what happened with our delegation and things. So far the session, I would say um, some of the good things that came out of it for, for Southwest Washington, uh, the, we, we did see the majority of our delegation work together a lot better than we have in previous sessions, which I think has well, could definitely benefit the region. I mean, we saw the Interstate 5 bridge bill passed uh, the Senate on Monday. The governor has yet to sign it, but most expect that he will. And I I would say some, well, there's a lot that could still happen because the operating budget has not yet passed, the transportation budget has not yet passed, and the capital budget has not yet passed. So within those three budgets, there's So basically most things of, everything of substance, so yeah. A lot of substance hasn't happened. There's been some policy bills, like the Interstate 5 Bridge bill that we just talked about. Um, And what we've seen so far from the capital budget does um, benefit Clark County quite a bit. I, th- I think most lawmakers have been happy with the projects that have been listed. The capital budget is money carved out for actual building of projects, actual construction of schools or um, 
the, some of the money that we've seen this year is Bridgeview Education and Employment Resources has gotten some money in both the Senate and the House version, Daybreak Youth Services, and the Clark County Historical Museum, and the Life Science Building at Washington State University are just a couple cool. of local projects that um, seem to be on, on every the Southwest Washington's delegation's radar to fund. These benefits that might be coming our way, are these a product of their just like better cohesion and better working together? I definitely think that's part of it. I think that this session, uh, the delegation, for the most part, n not everybody was included, but well, everyone was invited, but not everyone participated. But seven out of the majority of our Southwest Washington delegation determined very early on this session that they were going to start meeting regularly on Tuesday nights. And by doing that, I think they hammered out priorities for the region instead of working in silos the entire session. And because of that, I think that they were able to be more of this cohesive unit going into lobbying the chairs of the transportation committees, and they were sending a much clearer message to people, this is what we want. This is what we want us to prioritize for our region. And um, generally, that's a much more effective strategy than trying to sort of go it alone and and bickering and fighting. Well, and that was always one thing that, that they talked about, you know, when I was still covering the county, especially with transportation projects, was that, you know, Washington really or Southwest Washington couldn't get in get really what it wanted and needed because of ongoing strife and and conflict within our, our delegation and our local governments. So um, so I know that's been something that that the county councilors at least talked about historically. So yes, I think they have long had a reputation um, for not being able to get on the same page and work together. And I think that some of the elections that took place and, and some new faces and new players have helped this session quite a bit. What's next then if they're supposed to if they're supposed to adjourn on on Friday this week, um, you know what's the what's the next steps for for them to get the budgets hammered out? So most people anticipated that we would be going into overtime sessions. Washington State Legislature is not a cut you know not a stranger to overtime sessions. I think it was in 2015 they broke the record for the longest yeah, single year seemed like yeah. Yeah, single year session, um, 175 days, I believe. Wow. So this year, with this monumental task of trying to solve the state school underfunding crisis, everybody knew it was going to be a, a difficult session. And it's hard to say how the talks about McCleary, which is a school funding issue, are going because they're happening all behind closed doors. And I know the Seattle Times and the Northwest News Network requested some emails to try and shed some transparency on, on the process and they were all denied. So it's a it's really hard for the public to gain a sense of how well are these going and um, what is what are they be what are they discussing exactly? Well, and I think locally where we're going to start seeing some impact into that is all the school districts are starting to go into their budget discussions and figure out their budget for next year. And they're sort of they're sort of at a at a lock because the budgets that they submit to the state may not even be relevant when McCleary is hammered out if it's hammered out. So exactly right. The school districts have to deal with this every time that lawmakers take this long puts them in limbo. Um, you know, earlier in this conversation, you mentioned that all these other budgets weren't being passed. Yeah, I feel like this uh, education uh, funding issue is just sucking all the air out of the room and trying to get all these other things done. Yeah, and I should clarify that, that the Senate has actually passed their version, and the House is close to passing their versions, but um, hasn't yet. And um, really, typically, once the, both of those 
all you know those budgets are passed is when the, the negotiating really begins it's kind of just funny that we're at the end of session technically and really negotiations have not started in earnest yeah so during a special session they're not just going to be working on this education funding package right they can still do a whole bunch of other things so technically they can um, introduce policy bills and kind of go through that motion again but there is sort of an agreement apparently where they don't do that um, for the most part they will just be working on bills that are necessary to implement the budget the thing that's tricky about the legislature is that there's always some sort of procedural maneuver that they can revive any bill if they know the right tricks you know if it's a real pet bill they could try and bring it back but for the most part special sessions almost all the lawmakers will come home, they'll go back to their district, they won't take per diem, and the key negotiators will stay up in Olympia and hammer out some kind of deal. Interesting. So uh, we shouldn't necessarily expect legislation that was proposed from our local delegation to be revived uh, during this special session. There's, a, there's, a kind of, there's always a, a chance, but it's probably unlikely. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like scratch ticket odds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So looking back on, um, I mean, obviously not over, but looking back at this session, um, how did our, did our delegation get the things done that they wanted to get done? Did they make, did they hit the marks that they wanted to, or were there like a few big things that uh, fell short of the mark that didn't make it through? I think that certainly some lawmakers had some priority bills that didn't happen. Representative Paul Harris has tried uh, a couple sessions to raise the smoking age from 18 to 21. We haven't seen that come out yet. Um, you know, everybody has their their personal priorities that they work on all session that that we we saw quite a few this session and, and some didn't. You know, Representative Vic has this bill called Right to Try, which would allow a terminally ill person to try um, medicine that hasn't necessarily been approved by the FDA yet. He, he introduced that last session and then it and brought it back forth this session and it passed the session. It's kind of an interesting one. So they're always working on their own pet projects. I think overall, so far, I mean, it will depend on what we see really come out of these budgets. The delegation seems to think that this has been a pretty productive session for them. Going in, we all know their number one priority as a group was that Interstate 5 Bridge bill, which has yet to be signed by the governor, but is passed both chambers, which they've tried to do that for numerous sessions, and it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, one that really surprised me was that the uh, tampon tax wasn't repealed this session. I thought, I kind of thought that when that got brought up again, that this was the year it was going to go down, but it shows how much I know. Yeah, Senator Linda Wilson, a Republican, um, has worked on that for two sessions now. She's tried to, if not repeal the tampon tax, to direct the money from the tax into a fund to help domestic violence victims. And I think she'll continue to try and do that. I think this was, like you mentioned earlier, this session was a hard one because of McCleary issue, the school funding issue, was really sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room and, and money's such a big issue that that did have a pretty big fiscal note to it, um, meaning it took would took take money out of the general fund budget. So I think that's where she ran into some gridlock this session. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.
All right, everybody. Now we're sitting down with Ashley Swanson, who's going to tell us about all the hip hop and happening things to do this weekend in Vancouver and the surrounding areas. Is that right? Are you bringing us places beyond Vancouver this week? I always try to. You for do. Sure. You do. Yeah. And that's why I was comfortable assuming that and not, <laughs> not fact checking it with you first. Anyway. Uh, well, it is Earth Day this weekend. Um, so there is the annual Earth Day Fest hosted by the Stream Team, which is a, a Clark Public Utilities kind of environmental group of superheroes, I guess. Do they have t-shirts? Do they, they stream do. team? They do have t-shirts. Yes. Okay. Um, so they have a little public festival that takes place on the Salmon Creek uh, Greenway near Kleinline Park. And it's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. It's free. And you can see... Um, take part in a bunch of different environmental activities, look at what they're doing to help the Salmon Creek uh, Greenway kind of thrive. Uh, the Portland Audubon will bring its live birds of prey, and then also the um, Mr. Lizard will be there with his snakes and lizards and other... Wait, I'm sorry, Mr. Lizard? Is yes. Mr. Lizard a person or is he a lizard? He is a person. But he's a lizard person. He, he is okay. a lizard person, yeah. <laughs> so he just goes around like taking... Yeah, he has like a little mobile critter, critter zoo. Yeah, That's rep, cool. Okay. Zoo, yeah. Okay. So you can learn all about the wonderful cold-blooded animals. Cool. Yeah. Um, and they're even offering a um, shuttle bus from uh, Chuck's that's out there on, on 117th and to, to the Salmon Creek so parking doesn't get overfilled and, you know, it's a bit more green. That's a great idea because that parking lot gets choked up really mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. yeah. So definitely go park at Chuck's and then take the shuttle over. Yeah. And get some kombucha. Uh, Chuck's isn't open on Saturdays. Bring your own kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a Saturday night, the uh, Storm City Roller Girls are taking on the um, Chaos Theory from Eastern Washington in a roller derby bout up at the the fairgrounds. Um, so that the bout starts at six, doors open around five. Um, tickets are about ten to twelve dollars, and it's um, really fun family stuff. If you want to watch ladies duke it out on roller blades, cool skates. Yeah, rollerblade skates. I always get those two confused. Roller skates covered in blades. <laughs> <laughs> That's the not family friendly version. Roller derby's already a little. <laughs> it's a little bloody, but. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, and then. The weekend cover story is about Spring Theater. So our reporter, Scott Hewitt, kind of uh, gathered up as much theater as he could um, from the high schools, from the colleges, from, from our professional ensembles in town and kind of put it all together. So if you're a big theater buff, there's a lot to choose from. Everything from like You're in Town to um, Stop Kiss, which is kind of like an interesting story that's told out of chronological order. Oh, uh if you want to head to Portland, um, there's a great big gathering of the guilds and a ceramic showcase. I am so freaking excited about this. <laughs> you have no idea. I was in a ceramics guild when mm -hmm. I was in college. Mm -hmm. Still wear my still my favorite T-shirt, as a matter of fact. Well, there you go. Uh, so from Friday through Sunday um, at the Oregon Convention Center, uh, five big um, artisan guilds and uh, the ceramic um, or the Potter's Association of Oregon will kind of come together and just showcase all their artists and skills. So we're talking regional artists from Washington, Oregon, um, you know, all the way up north to kind
kind of parts of California. And you guys least. have no idea how cool this is going to be. <laughs> like, well, there's world class artists here mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest that like have showings all over the place, mm-hmm. and they're going to be here all in one spot. Yeah. By the way, I just love the idea of gathering of the guilds. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sounds like something like straight out of Game like of Game of Thrones. Thrones Definitely. Or well, and like, the, and the the arts they're representing is kind of similar because it's it's like um, the jewelry making guild and the the weaver guild and the metal smithing and and the glass makers and so it's it's definitely that old style artisan thing but they're showing how this art style can continue into the 21st century and you'll have lots of it's a really big debate within the community mm-hmm. yeah it takes a lot of resources there's mm-hmm. a big carbon footprint to ceramics mm-hmm. but anyway so yeah and it's also a cool place if you're looking for gifts for like mother's day or, or whatever to yeah pick up something shiny and fun uh is that a is there a cost for that or is it just parking it's just parking. It's totally free. So you can just wander around and, and discover new things. Cool. Yeah. That would be a good one to take the max to. If yeah. You... Or, you know, bum a ride. Yeah. Convince your friends it's cool. Right. <laughs> um, I went to Heartlandia last weekend, by the way, after oh. your suggestion. It was delightful. It was very nice. Very so. cool. I'm kind of riffing off two other stories that are going to be appearing in the Colombian. So one is about the Oregon Mandolin Orchestra which mm-hmm. is performing on Sunday up in Ridgefield. And Mandolin Orchestra. Yeah. That just seems like a very specific. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. and and what's interesting is the orchestra it you know acknowledges mandolin's kind of importance in bluegrass, but it's also trying to show that there was um, the instrument, you know, is far older than that because it comes from kind of that fiddle family from Ireland and, and Europe. Oh, totally. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that's where bluegrass chase, traces its roots from is the Scottish and Irish settlers of the uh, Midwest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, the orchestra is kind of tracing its roots all the way back to kind of going to the more classical sort of idea of what mandolin is mm-hmm. and then traces it all the way forward to, to modern bluegrass. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that concert's at 2 p.m. on Sunday. It's uh, $15 at the Old Liberty Theater in Ridgefield. Hmm. And then um, the other thing is happening Wednesday at the Kiggins Theater, so the the 26th, and uh, we're going to have a story on that as well in the paper, and it's Reimagined Radio doing the City of Weird. Mm. City of Weird, you say? Yes. Mm. So the City of Weird is a uh, compilation book of different short stories um, kind of taking place in a future odd Portland, so... You, it can be everything from the prehistoric Portland to the the modern day. And it, they're all just fun, weird stories. So there's like Martians who are trying to escape gentrification on East Burnside and like um, prehistoric cave people writing uh, opinion editorials to the Oregonian about discovering fire. Gross. Some like Oregon. I assume there's going to be like some Oregon live commenters joke in that one because how can you not? Right. And so uh, Willamette Radio Workshop and Reimagined Radio, which is based in WSU Vancouver, um, are turning a lot of these short stories into old stu- old style radio shows. Oh, cool. So they'll have the Foley effects and the artists on stage talking into the microphones to basically make original, uh, original radio plays based on these stories. Mm-hmm. And they're even going to do a Magic Lantern show. Oh, what does that mean? So it's kind of like the earliest form of like um, 
projection. So you would do oh. kind of like, you'd have like glass slides that would kind you of slip in and out. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and little shadow puppets and sort of that sort of idea. Um, and so that's all taking place Wednesday at seven at Kiggins Theater. And it's uh, free with a $5 suggested donation. So if you're interested in some very strange stories. Cool. That sounds fun, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else going on? Or, I mean, there's ever a lot going on. There's always so much going on. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of like um, volunteer efforts that are happening for Earth Day. Um, There's lots of concerts and nightlife opportunities and. I feel like you're bringing us like the Costco samplers of Mm -hmm. all the weekend events going on. Yeah, that's what I try. These are just the highlights, right? Oh yeah. I think you've made that joke before. (laughs) Well, I think it's not even a joke. It's an analogy. And it still stands. Yeah, I'm just holding my cheese plate right here. That's right. That's right. You were bringing us a cheese plate. Mm-hmm. If people want to find out more about the things that are going on this weekend, where might they be able to track that stuff down? Friday's weekend section Friday's in the Colombian weekend section. Yeah. Got you. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, does that just include like the one weekend that is happening, or does it include like future weekends as well? It is everything from Friday till next Thursday. So it's it's a week of events so if you get bored on a a tuesday night you can find something to do if you really need to plan things out Um, i also do a column in the saturday paper that is called save the date and it's a bit further looking of stuff you know things happening in may and and stuff to keep in mind that's a fantastic idea Mm -hmm. cool well thanks for filling us in no problem all right that's a wrap that's it so as always thanks for tuning in and listening to us um i hope you guys like the show um i think this was a really good one yeah it was i really uh, enjoyed our conversation with jim and um mm-hmm. you know there's some pretty sharp people in this in this community um no doubt in the in the marijuana industry you know so. i really think like regardless of how you feel about pot love it hate it be indifferent to it um I am fascinated by getting to watch literally a whole new market create itself. How often in history do you get to watch a new market just open up and just grow right in front of you like pot has? Well, and literally literally every component of it. I mean, the development of products, the research around products, the the, regulations regulations of products. products, You know, there's an entire... I mean, like you said, an industry from the ground up is mm-hmm. is growing, and so it's pretty incredible to see how it's doing and what you know if if and should federal legalization come in the next whenever. The other thing that I I really like, I mean, you know, I'm a journalist, so I love information. Yeah. But um, then their books are open to us. We can we could go onto the liquor and cannabis uh, control board's website. And see exactly how much any of the herbary stores have brought in in the last year. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah, I've, I mean, if you haven't poked around with that data, um, it's pretty incredible. You know, I mean, very, very rarely are business business books as open as I mean, if, if they're anything not. they're not. Yeah. So, um, but if you if you poke around on the uh, Liquor and Cannabis Board's website, there is just a wealth of information, and some of it's like a little hard to navigate. I mean, yeah, it can be, be pretty wonky. It can be pretty wonky, but I mean, you can see how much pot these places are selling mm. um what uh what in How sales tax they're paying they pay. their excise tax you can also see um by the grower by the individual grower mm-hmm. um or how producer. many are in your town how many are in your county yeah how much money the counties are getting and the cities are getting and um 
what cities and counties aren't getting any money because they don't allow sales within their within their uh, boundaries. One thing that we didn't mention as we were talking to Jim is that these numbers that you pulled out, Damien, that talk mm-hmm. about the the amount of money that Vancouver got, that actually includes the money. Um, the the so the way that the state works is, um, and this is fairly recent. This was not the case when when marijuana first came online, but um, but uh, cities, counties, you know, individual municipalities, municipalities allow that allow borders. it, they get. A, a little chunk of they the um, of the excise taxes. Um, yep. The money that um, that Clark County received would have received, did it allow mm-hmm. uh, marijuana sales, goes to another municipality. Mm-hmm. Get you know gets is given to a different municipality. Mm-hmm. So that's money that the county is turning its nose up, basically. Totally, and you know, in some cases that might be just. Uh, just chunk change in what they're getting but in other cases i mean especially i would think even in a busy metropolitan area like vancouver's i mean the county could be t- potentially missing out on a pretty Couple significant hundred thousand bucks yeah i yeah. mean i mean that's like that's a sheriff's deputy year or mm-hmm. two so mm-hmm. i mean so i looked up the numbers that i was talking about earlier okay. amy fisher did a great story about this when she was here so mm-hmm. um, because clark county doesn't allow recreational pot shops vancouver and battleground received the ca- and battleground so both received so the county's yes received the county's share of tax revenue which would have totaled four hundred ninety six thousand dollars for the 2016 fiscal year according wow. to brian smith spokesman for the state liquor and cannabis board vancouver's marijuana revenue of seven hundred ninety thousand five hundred dollars amounts to a little more than half of a percent of its 137 point seven million dollar general fund budget for 2015 wow so almost five hundred thousand dollars the county could be getting Mm -hmm. that is a lot of money that is several sheriff deputies that's that is a roads project yeah i mean and that's a fraction of a percentage for their their total budget you know it's a drop in the bucket but no doubt but the thing is is there's a lot of things around here that we need right that ultimately cost a drop in the bucket and you would know this i mean wasn't the county just railing and crying about how they have a budget deficit yeah i I mean yeah so So, again this is a drop in the bucket but you know every uh, every bit counts so yeah yeah um When I was a reporter in Shasta County um, in in California, um, you know, that's people talk about Northern California, you know, like San Francisco that I was in Northern California. (laughs) So um, the the sheriff there uh, who is still the sheriff there was quoted by The Washington Post. Um, Again, you know, kind of an interesting piece of the federal versus the local versus the state regulations. You know, I was there at a time when just medical was legal. The entire county, um, every city, the unincorporated county, um, except for a little city that I covered Shasta Lake um, had had <clears throat> moratoriums on medical marijuana stores, so there were two in in Shasta Lake, um, this little city, um, and then because that's sort of just outside of the um, outside of the Emerald Triangle, there yeah. you see a lot of um, for the people that don't know what the Emerald Triangle is, that's where like all the pot in northern in California is grown, right? Yeah, so you get a lot of a lot of migrant workers who, you know, will kind of come up the coast and they'll work at, you know, this illegal grow out in the woods and they'll hippie kids from other states. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they'll come into this area, they'll trim they'll trim some bud and then they'll go home, you know, when the season's over. Um mm-hmm. so we had our share and we had a, a fair a decent amount of that happening in Shasta County as yeah. well. And so um, your sheriff said our sheriff was quoted by the by the Washington Post as saying that they because the um <clears throat> Local jurisdictions get money from the feds for drug busts. They get a certain amount. They get a certain dollar amount or whatever. So mm-hmm. depending on how what they find and how much they find, mm-hmm. um, was quoted as saying that 
because they intentionally focus on marijuana because they get a hell of a lot more money from the state than they do for busting a you know a meth lab down the street. Mm. So even though I, I'm I think not surprised, it's, even though it's it's pretty clear that marijuana is not as harmful of a drug as methamphetamines, you know, any number of mm-hmm. crap that you can put into your body. Mm-hmm. The county was choosing to focus in on that as a result of the money that it got from the federal government. So. I was listening to a podcast about this just the other day, um, as a matter of fact, on the media. It's a great one if you guys don't listen to it. And one of their guests that was talking about uh, drug policy in the U.S. Mm. made the exact explained the exact circumstances that you just described about how essentially um, in the during the Reagan era and a little bit in the Bush era, uh, federal benefits to local local governments was drastically reduced. And during the Clinton administration, one way he saw to return some of this money in a way that was still favorable um, with the with the opposition was to. Um, increase funding to uh, like local police departments through like drug busts and uh, yeah. policing drug crimes and things like that. And so like literally it created an incentivized system to arrest people for drug possessions and, you know, distribution and what have you. So I mean, it created the exact scenario that your sheriff was capitalizing on. Right. Anyway. Yeah, we digress. So uh, we'll be back at you next week. Um, mm-hmm. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, podcast is posted every Wednesday evening, but it, you can find it on the Colombians' homepage mm-hmm. on uh, Thursday. Yeah, so. yep. we have it up all day Thursday. Um you guys, I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody that's listening to the show. I see that our numbers are growing. Our, every episode we release, there's more and more people listening to it. And that's Woo-hoo! really exciting because we literally started this with just a dream. And <laughs> we never thought it would grow into this. And so uh, thank you for telling your friends and family to listen to us. And thank you to all you new listeners who are doing it. If you guys have any ideas for show topics... Please reach out to us. No idea is too big or too small. Uh, you can get a hold of Katie or I. Our contact information is on every story we have and um, also all over the newspaper's website. Or you can just email podcast at Columbian.com and we'll get it there. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.